And it was just not getting any better. It was just getting worse and worse yeah. and worse every day. And this place was worse than jail. They had to walk you to the bathrooms. Even in jail, you can go to the bathroom whenever you want and you can have as much coffee as you want. <laughs> in this treatment place, you got two cups a day. I'm literally trying to get sober from meth. And you're going to limit me to two cups of coffee a day? You're lucky I don't sleep through the entire day for two months. I haven't slept in eight months. You know, so like... <laughs> Hi, this is Justin. And this is Laura. And it's count time. No longer from the inside. So... All right. This feels like... Okay. It's going to take a second to get It's going to take back. a second. Yeah, it's normal. We had a good kind of... We had a timbre. ...rhythm going yeah. for a while there. But uh, it's good to be back. Speaking of being back, you've been away for about 10 months. 10 months. Do you want to chat about that? I, I would love to. Okay. It definitely has been on my <laughs> mind. First of all, I want to just thank our listeners that have stuck with us during this entire time. I know it's been a little rocky. Uh, I appreciate the... People who have listened to the episodes that were recorded from inside various county jails in the state of Nebraska. <sighs> that was rough. Uh, definitely rough. I'm glad to be back and no longer in jail. It affects everybody. It affects everything in their life. I think it's it's one thing, like when people talk about the ripple effect, I've always liked that analogy, but after experiencing it on different levels, mm-hmm. like when I'm your friend. Sure, I know. And it definitely has, it's something for somebody like me to remember too. My actions don't just have consequences for me. You know, it affects everybody. It affects my friends. It affects my family. It affects my daughter, my whole life, you know. And uh, as we kind of realized what happened, we had just gotten done recording a really successful first season. And then all of a sudden I'm gone. There's all of these consequences that are attached to our actions. Now, is it always fair? No, but that's the world we live in. And I think going back to sort of what happened. So I was arrested on March 18th and that would have been 2021. Now Mm -hmm. I was arrested for a possession charge. I wasn't a hundred percent out front with what was also going on in my personal life. Mm -hmm. When coronavirus happened and this has happened for so many people in my position and I'm not blaming my relapse on the coronavirus, but that was a big contributing factor. I had relapsed. So it would have been in August of 2020 (sighs) and I was keeping it to myself during the whole time. I was not honest with my support system. I wasn't honest with the people that I'm closest with in my life for as long as I could. Um, It's hard to keep a meth use secret for very long. It typically, it typically rears its ugly head and people are like, Oh, wow. You're 40 pounds skinnier than the last time I saw you. And I saw you a week ago. (laughs) Yeah. There was, there was one night you would come over. Yeah. And I turned to Dan after you left and I was like, he's been working his ass off. He's really tired. I can tell, but like, yeah. there's something going on. Yeah. And I immediately, like after I said it out loud, I was like, nah. <laughs> because you're my friend and you want to believe the best about <laughs> me, but it's a real fact of life here. Meth use is real and it's very, very scary. Like I said earlier, it doesn't affect just you. It affects everybody in your life, too. The stats say a certain percentage of people will get clean off meth. Right. And I've always used that kind of as an excuse in my life. Oh, only 
sixteen percent of people ever. I think it's twelve. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's low. Yeah, actually recover from meth addiction. Truthfully, I was doing really well. I had my shit together and mm-hmm. there was nothing really going on that warranted me to relapse. But once you get going, I know for me, I won't stop until I'm locked up. There was countless times where my significant other was like, call your PO, tell her what's going on, be honest with her, be upfront about this, that, and the other. And I just wouldn't do it because number one, because I'm selfish and I just want to keep getting high because that's what, that's what a drug addict is. It's just selfish because the drugs are always going to come before everything else. And that's the way it is. But then like things just started slowly getting worse and worse. And when we started recording count time, I was already using when we started, but obviously like there's different levels. You probably saw me on some nights where I was a little bit more put together than other nights, you know? And so things were probably a little bit more obvious as, you know, like, Oh, Justin said he was going to be here, you know, 20 minutes, but it's been two hours and now he's finally (laughs) here, you know? And I mean, Thanks for being so gracious about all of that. But uh, so going back to it, I'm not going to stop using until I'm locked up and I'm not going to be able to stay out of jail if I'm using. And it's going to come. And I knew it was coming. It was just a matter of time. People that I was surrounding myself with, I'm lucky that things worked out the way that they did because it could have been a lot worse. But I went to jail on March 18th for a possession charge. I had, in my brilliance, decided to put a vehicle in my name that wasn't my vehicle. It was somebody else's vehicle. And the long and the short of it was I got drug into something that really wasn't my deal, but I ended up paying the cost for it. Well, I'm also on federal paper. So any contact with the police is going to trigger a violation. And so even though like the shit wasn't mine, it wasn't my thing. I was just trying to help a friend out. A story of my life, I've been helping friends out for a long time and it always ends up being... Change the friends. (laughs) Right. And that is the key. You know, you have to change your people, places, and playgrounds. Like, that's what they they say. And that's totally true. You can't keep doing the same thing and expect different results. And that's what I've been doing my whole life. From when I started using up until just recently. I mean, and I'm not even saying I'm I'm still working on it. I mean, obviously, I've only been out for less than a month here. Mm. And I've got a lot of things to repair, a lot of things to come back from. I don't want to make excuses. I was in the wrong because of the things that I was doing. And I should have never been even involved in the stuff that I was involved in. I think it's tough because from your perspective, depending on the situation, you're coming from a place of kindness. Like it's a wholehearted effort to be kind and generous in the example of your friend, right? Sure. But that can be taken advantage of. So if you change the people, places, and playgrounds, that's going to look different. Right. It's always the people that are really your friends. Mm -hmm. that suffer. I'm not saying that they weren't really my friend, but I think that people that are in addiction and are in active addiction, I think there's only so much that they can be. I think that at the end of the day, everything is inherently selfish and the drugs are always going to come first and they're always going to take precedence and anything that you can get to get you closer to your goal, as far as whether it's using, getting more drugs, being more involved in that life is going to come before any actual solid care that you have for another person. You know, because you said it to me another time too. You said if this person was really your friend, they wouldn't ask you to do this in the first place. You know, and that really hit me hard because I was like, yeah, how do you say no to somebody that you care about tremendously? It's hard to say no 
to people. And especially for somebody like me, I'm a people pleaser and it's gotten me in trouble from day one. Then I'm making this choice to try to help somebody else out and my whole family is suffering. My daughter's losing her dad. My partner's losing her mate. You lose your job, your car, your house, your clothes. I mean, everything. Right. And going to jail is a detrimental thing to happen to a person. You lose everything. There's, I'm so blessed that I have people in my life to actually try to like keep some of the stuff that I've worked (laughs) for for me (laughs) because if I didn't, I would have lost everything. I mean, luckily I was able to keep a lot of these things. Um, and I don't have to start all the way over, but you do, you have to start over. And I mean, there's so many people out there and I wasn't even convicted of anything. So I did 10 months. I mean, yes, I was charged initially, but the state dropped the charge because it really wasn't a real charge. You were in there for 10 months and you were not found guilty of anything? No. So the state has to figure out what to do with you within six months. It's something called a speedy trial. Right. This time I was in there, I got out to go to treatment. Some of the clinicians did listen to the podcast. That makes me happy, but in an odd, awkward sort of way. It is a little weird because... I didn't particularly like any of those people there. (laughs) And, you know, I don't really care what they thought about the podcast. (laughs) And they probably were, like, dissecting it, trying to, like, figure out, oh, what's his thought process? So you weren't asking for, like, constructive feedback from No, I was just trying. I was, I just like things to be about me. So, like, I'm always, I'm always just like, hey, by the way. Right. Also, I have this publication. I have this podcast. You should listen to it. Right. You know, and uh, (laughs) it's been really good. So any long story short, I left that treatment as you guys also experienced. We can Yeah, we'll you know. talk about that. I was there for two later. months. And it was just not getting any better. It was just getting worse and worse yeah. and worse every day. And this place was worse than jail. They had to walk you to the bathrooms. Even in jail, you can go to the bathroom whenever you want and you can have as much coffee as you want. <laughs> in this treatment place, you got two cups a day. I'm literally trying to get sober from meth. And you're going to limit me to two cups of coffee a day? You're lucky I don't sleep through the entire day for two months. I haven't slept in eight months. You know, so like... But anyway, so I left that treatment place. They did let me go to treatment because they told me, okay... You're going to treatment. And this was after I was in there. I was in county for two months. And they finally were like, okay, you're going to treatment on May 11th. And I was like, all right. You know, like, I was like, I'll go anywhere, but. And they're like, okay, well, you only have to go for 28 days. It's like, I can do anything for 28 days. You know, like 28 (laughs) days is nothing. You know, like 28 days, bada bing, bada boom, I'm home. Life (laughs) is good. I get there and they're like, oh no, you're here for six months. Well, Or we could call the marshals and they can come get you up right now. You know, this was on day one. I'm getting intaked in. They told me 28 days. I get there and they trick you because they want the funding. So they, they want to collect all this money from the state that they're getting for your behalf. So it's always going to be six months. That's the longest they can, they can get, right. keep you and keep getting paid. Yeah. So why would they send you home any earlier? First of all, you're not causing any problems. You're somebody that they're thinking, oh, you'll, he'll be an easy person to have here. Yeah. Of course, they're going to want to keep you as long as possible. And my PO, God bless her, she didn't care. I'd been lying to her for a year. She's thinking, well, he's doing really well. And the whole time I'm out there getting high and running the streets and being crazy. And I mean, things went downhill quickly as far as like when everything came to fruition. So like she wasn't going to go to bat for me and be like, oh, no, he only needs a month. You know, there was no even one month program there. The minimum was 60 days. So I did 60 days and then I decided to go. But uh, that's a story for (laughs) another time. We're going to get into that later. Yeah. Yeah. So that story includes marshals coming to my house, but also me watching a brigade 
of just cars and men. I know. Sorry, For that that'll be a discussion. I know. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm kind of I shouldn't be excited, but I'm pretty excited. For yeah, that they talk to me about you guys. <laughs> Is that the same Marshall that listens to the podcast? Yeah, I told him when the <laughs> when they finally found me, I was like, "Hey, you should listen," because I tell everybody. <laughs> I like, give them all stickers because I do. I, I didn't have any stickers, stickers on me, but I would have. <laughs> There's so much. Okay, we're gonna keep yeah. going. We're anyway, gonna keep going. so I was I was only on the run for about five weeks, which is a pretty good run. Only on the run <laughs> for five weeks. It was a pretty good run. Uh, I told him I was like, "How'd you find me?" And he goes, "Cause we're damn good at our jobs." And I'm like, "Really? If you were that good at your job, you would have had me on day one." <laughs> but, sorry, no offense. Uh, Marshalls. No, they if work you're still hard. They and work I don't hard. say that because I know they're listening. I just say it because they genuinely do. People they care about the their career. Job. Come on. What was that? <laughs> they love their job. Of course they do. I mean, it's like one sided <laughs> combat. You know, like I'm literally, they took me down. I'm in my pajamas and I'm driving. So I pulled down into this apartment <laughs> complex and. There's cops everywhere in this park. I drove right into it. And so, like, I'm driving right into it, and I'm looking, like, out the window, and I see, like, all these, well, U.S. Marshals. They have vests, you know, and I'm like, well, I bet they're there for me. And I just kept driving, and I was like, you know, I really don't – I'm not cut out for high-speed chases. I'm just – I'm not (laughs) a good enough driver for that. And – and also, it's 8.30 in the morning. And I'm just like, are you guys working later these days? Normally, they come at like 4 in the morning. I thought I would be okay at 8.30 in the morning. <laughs> I just pulled over, and I stopped, and they just followed me. One of them saw me in the vehicle, and they just surrounded me. They had guns everywhere. <laughs> I scuffed my shoes. I just got this brand new oh, pair no, of Adidas. Oh, no, they did not. Yeah. What yeah. shoes were they? Well, they're these white and red Adidas. <gasps> oh, well, okay, but they're not Nikes. Oh, I wear Adidas. Oh, right. Sorry. That's my bad. Very I'm, pretentious. Wow. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Is oh, it yeah. Nike We're household? We're an Adidas so household, okay? So. Are you DC or Marvel? Because we might have other issues. I don't have any of <gasps> that. Well, that's fine. You get a pass. Yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, so so that I was on the run for five weeks and I get caught. I was in jail another two months before the state dropped the charges. So I had actually no charges. I still had a federal violation, though. What is the difference, though? Like, I wouldn't know if someone just said that to me. When I got arrested, it triggered an automatic violation on my federal paper because I'm still on supervised release from the feds. As we've talked before, there's county time, state time, and federal time. Right. If I am convicted of a crime while I'm on federal paper and I'm on this in the state, I'm going to have to do time for both government agencies. So I'm going to have to satisfy the state. And the feds. But what is federal paper? When I got out of prison, a condition of my release was I was under supervision for five years. Mm -hmm. Five years is typical on a drug crime. Yeah. I was less than two years into my supervision when this happened. So I still have all this time left that I'm still under the gun, so to speak. So if I hadn't been on federal paper and I got arrested and I bonded out like I did this time, I would have been out immediately when I posted bond and I would have had no, I would have just been able to fight my case from the outside, which is like we've talked about before, it's so much easier to fight your case and to advocate for your freedom. A person who's free is a lot more likely to remain free than somebody who's in jail. Yeah, A judge is bound to be more lenient towards somebody who comes in in street clothes 
who's working a job, who got out on bond months ago and has gotten any other charges, Mm -hmm. is doing well than somebody that's still just sitting in county jail. So quick question then. You posted bond. Where is that money? Oh, I got it back. Get back all of it 10%. Right. And it wasn't much. It was 7500 bucks. So it was a total of $750 to get out. Yeah. But I couldn't get out. So I posted the bond because my lawyer was like, post the bond so that way it will make the feds actually do something. Because right. they were just letting me sit there and weren't communicating at all. Mm-hmm. So I had no idea what was going on for months. So it was two solid months before I even knew what they wanted from me because they wouldn't communicate with my lawyer. Finally, they agreed to let me go to treatment, but they had to pick the spot Mm -hmm. and they picked a treatment program that was super inhospitable, almost worse than county jail, you know, to a certain extent. And I evaluated that when I made my decision to leave. You know what? I would rather be in jail than dealing with this. And whether that's the right decision or the wrong decision, the end result ended up being exactly the same. Yeah. You know, I knew that with what I was charged with, they weren't going to be able to make a case out of it and they would eventually have to drop it. Like, I knew that to be true because of my experience in the justice system, but also because I didn't do this. The state would have had a really hard time convicting me of that. And all of this started with a charge for an amount of drugs that would be personal use. How oh, yeah. Many, but how many years ago? It was July of 2014, and it was seven grams. They've probably spent half a million dollars on prosecuting me and incarcerating me and continuing to pay somebody to supervise me Mm -hmm. uh, all on, you know, an amount of drugs that's legal in Oregon, you know? So like if you, and I'm not saying that meth should be legal. It definitely shouldn't be legal. It's not a productive thing to have in your life. It really turns everything upside down. However, I don't believe that somebody should be incarcerated for six years Right. On seven grams. On seven grams. I just don't. And then six years and seven grams, but then be under <laughs> the yeah. amount of supervision. Oh, and they could have they could have literally We don't even use the metric system. Why do they <laughs> care about grams? Like they, they they could not like so so they dropped the charge in September of last year, twenty twenty one. I had a sentencing date in the feds of October twenty seventh for my yeah. violation. And so they waited until the day before, or it was like two days before my sentencing, my lawyer came to see me and he was like, okay, because we they dropped the charges, they're going to drop the violation because without the charges, there I, remember, no violation. I, I remember talking to you guys on the phone and, and me saying like, yeah, without the charges, there's no violation. Right. Well, they what? charged me with not telling them where I was living from July 11th through August 15th or whenever it was that the time I was on the run. So they charged me with not telling them where I was during that time. And that charge carried up to 36 months in federal prison. Oh my goodness. This on the run charge though is from you running from a treatment center that wasn't treating you. That was exactly right. And I didn't see the benefit in being there. Should I have just up and ran? I mean, honestly, I had tried for two months to get a hold of my PO to have her come and speak to me because I couldn't have a private conversation in that treatment place. So I couldn't 
get on the phone and be like, hey, this place is effed up. This is what they're doing. This is the shit that they're saying to me. It was so unhealthy there. I was so miserable. I didn't want to put myself through it anymore. And I knew that it was bad for my family to not know where I was and and deal with all that craziness. And then what they had planned for me after that was another treatment place. Oh, wow. Which the program is a year to 18 months. So I would have been gone from my family for two years on a charge that I knew I wasn't even going to have. I mean, at the end of the day, like I knew that they weren't going to be able to continue to have this charge. So I thought for sure, once they drop the charge, I'll be good to go. See, just like I've learned from experience and am able to talk about all the way that these different things work, I'd never been in a violation before in a, mm-hmm. on federal paper, but now I have, so I can speak about it. <laughs> so you're just, you're more well-rounded. Well, you know, we I go. really did this for you, you know, so that we would all... <laughs> Join us on Facebook via Count Time Podcast, hashtag True Prison Podcast, hashtag Counting Us All. Produced by Daniel Argerbright and Laura Leatherwood. Music by Matt Williams and Elliot Torres. Art by Nick Chalupa at Hikari Studios. Thank you for listening and just remember, we're all your neighbors.